0: As I was worshiping, I felt like God was leading me to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, there's this story where there's this woman at, or at this well. And, and she's a woman who is downcast in her society. And uh, Jesus approaches this woman, which is weird in that culture, for, for a man to approach a woman by himself during the day. And, and they're sitting at a well. And Jesus pretty much tells her, he says, that, or so that water is not going to satisfy you. He says, but the water that I give will satisfy. And guys, I can remember a time when I didn't know Christ and I was sitting in a church service like this and there's someone who came up and said, or they're giving their testimony and they said, I've just been tired and thirsty, tired and thirsty, just searching for love and for God in all the wrong places. And then I met Jesus, and I've never been thirsty since. And tonight as we're talking about, you know, dating, relationships, love, sex, the reality is, is a lot of us have been trying to find our satisfaction from that well. But Jesus is saying, You're not gonna get satisfaction from that well. The only water that's gonna satisfy is the water that I give. So I just want to encourage you guys. Like I know there's so much brokenness in this room. There's sexual brokenness. There's relational brokenness. There's so much of it because of our culture. Tonight, Jesus is going to come to you and offer you the water that satisfies. The water that satisfies. So I feel like that's for someone in here. It's time to stop being tired and thirsty, guys. Because Jesus has the keys to eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you. We pray that as we're going into this awesome series on dating and sex and all that fun stuff, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just speak to us and teach us how to love properly, teach us how to date well, teach us married people how to be married well. God, do your thing tonight. God, we love you so much. We pray this all in your name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. So, that first song, though, that was crazy. Like, these three right here, that guy, that guy, and that dude, was just going crazy back there. I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but this is awesome. So, great job, worship team. Yeah, do that. Let's give them a round of applause. Yeah, worship team. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if you're coming to the all-night prayer night, there's a privilege around 2 o'clock in the morning. The two guys in the back are going to be leading worship, so you get to hear them sing. So, if you want to stay till 2, you can hear those guys. They're incredible. So yeah, uh, tonight we're starting a series that I've been looking forward to for the whole year. Like this is, to be honest, this is the series I've been most excited about. Uh, So about a year ago, I kind of just looked through this book called called Loveology by John Mark Comer. And to be honest, I didn't read the whole thing. I just kind of skimmed through it to get the points. And I said, I need to preach this book. I need to preach the principles in this book. So I planned it for February because Valentine's Day. It's coming up, and I know some of you are like, come on, I need to find my love, and uh, I think God's going to speak some really cool stuff, though, so if you want to read this book, you can buy it on Amazon, and just know that quite a bit of the things I'm going to share are not original to me, but a lot of it came from that book, so so no plagiarism, I'm not going to get in trouble, get an F or anything, so I just wanted to tell you that, that a lot of it's coming from that book, so yeah, guys, I'm pumped to talk about love, dating, sex, marriage, because our culture has so many misconceptions about these things. You know, two weeks ago, I led my first small group this semester. And we went around the circle, and we just shared our stories. You know, we shared our histories. And there's one thing at the end of the, or at the, end of the night that I knew, I was just like, wow, there are some serious sexual brokenness. Starting with me, guys, I have so much brokenness in my past, with, or sex and, and relationships. And, and I was thinking, God, we need some type of awakening in our culture on how to date properly, on how to say no to porn on how to wait for our spouse, on a, to have a biblical understanding of why we wait for sex until marriage. Like, why? Like, why do we have to do it inside marriage? Because that seems kind of constraining, or, or constraining to some of us. So for the next four weeks, we're just going to be diving into some of these questions, some of these misconceptions. So I'm super, super excited to share with you guys about, or about what God's been teaching me. So, so how many of you in here in elementary school, like, you dated a lot of people. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I had, like, 16 girlfriends. Come on. We got tons of people. Yeah, there you go. Tons of people dated in elementary school. You know, I had, like, 24 girlfriends by the time I was in fifth grade. And it actually kind of stunk, to be honest, because, because when, <laughs> it was when the time came for me to actually have girlfriends, I dated all of them when I was, like, 10. ten so there's no chance at that point. So there's this one story that's kind of funny. I'm hoping it doesn't flop. Uh, so, so when I was in fourth grade, so my best friend Austin, I started dating this girl. She was a really cool girl. Like, it's like, super awesome personality. But to be honest, she wasn't super attractive. Uh, and uh, that's just being honest. And it was fourth grade though, so maybe she looks better now. So I'm not gonna give her a name. But, uh, so, but great personality, okay? Like, coolest chick on the block. And my friend dated her, and, and I thought he was pretty funny for dating her. I was like, dude, I'm never gonna date her. But anyway, so he dated her for a while. And then randomly, just one day in the middle of class, like right in the middle of class, she walks up to him, just ticked off about something. I don't know what it was. Maybe they got in a fight on the playground. I don't know what it was. But she just went up to him like, we're through, and just shouted at her. Just shouted at him right in the middle of the class. Like an eight-year-old or 10-year-old girl just shouting at this guy, we're through. And I'm like, you don't talk to my friend like that. Come on. And I was ticked. And two weeks went by, and she became my girlfriend. Uh, (laughs) Because I thought she had a cool personality as well. So... So we dated for like two weeks, and how many of you know that at the beginning of a relationship you're like excited about it sometimes, and then a few days go by and you're like, "Shoot, what did I get myself into?" <laughs> so that happened to me. <laughs> it happened to me about a couple days into. It. I'm like, "I gotta get out of this thing." Uh, so I kind of, to my friends, I made it seem like it was all this plan to get back at her, for dumping my friend in front of the class. So you know, so what do I do? Two weeks into it. She's in line. We're about to go to lunch. I go up to her I'm like, we're through! And I shout at her. <laughs> and I just made it look like that's the reason I dated her. I was a jerk, let's be honest about it. But uh, yeah, this story doesn't have a lot to do with anything other than it's funny. Uh, so, so I'm sure many of us have had funny dating experiences like this in elementary or maybe middle school. Or maybe you didn't have any boyfriends or girlfriends. Good for you. It's a good thing. Uh, but like I said, I think this common theme we run into... Before we, or before, we, or before we meet our spouses, there's a lot of times that or we're dating for maybe a, f- a few weeks or maybe even like a year, and then we start to get sick of the person. We're like, okay, I'm not really feeling this anymore. And then slowly the relationship kind of crumbles and we break up, and then we do it again with someone else, and we do it again with someone else, and it's just this pattern of excitement, butterflies, this is the one, we date for a few months, and things go downhill. And I believe... That part of the reason for this is we have a really skewed understanding of what love and dating is supposed to be. I think we have this misunderstanding about love. And guys, I believe that if you want to get married, if God's put that on your heart, that God will bring someone to you. But there's some things we have to do. We have to get our hearts right. We have to be, be in the proper positioning to meet that person. And I believe that eventually, guys, we can meet that person who they have just... All the factors going on. like we're attracted to them, the person who we're fond of, like, like yes, that is a good person, person who, a person who you feel like you could lay down your life for, and a person who you're friends with, like those are the four factors we're gonna talk about tonight. I think those four things can come together, and it came together for me. Like like after 36 girlfriends, I finally found my wife. My freshman year, I met her right here during the greeting time during Kai Alpha. And all those factors came together. And it didn't take long for me to figure out that this is the person I'm supposed, supposed to be with because all the other girls, like, they didn't have all those factors going on. Or I just got sick of them after, like, two weeks. But, guys, I'm not going to promise you that you're going to find a spouse at the end of this series. I'm not promising that. But I believe, <laughs> I believe we can get ourselves in proper position to find the person. So some questions we're going to ask ourselves over the next four weeks are these. Do I understand love? Do I really Understand love. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to ask ourselves, do I love like Jesus tells us to love? Or the next week we're going to say, am I ready to date? Am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? Think about that. Guys, guys, we want to find the one, but am I the person that the one is looking for? And then we're going to talk about, do I understand biblical marriage? Biblical sexuality? All these questions we're going to try to answer over the next four weeks. But the big question I'm, that I really want us to think about throughout this series, or is this one, Ashley, if you can throw up on the screen quick, the question I just asked, am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? That's hard to say. <laughs> and that's a question for us to ask for those of us who are married, too. Am I the spouse that my spouse wants? Am I the spouse that my spouse deserves? We so often look out for this, this mystical one to show up, but we're not prepared to change our own hearts. And I believe it starts with understanding the love of God, being transformed by the love of God, so we can become that person that's ready to meet the one. So tonight, maybe you're sitting in here, and you want to get married soon. Like, like there's no one on the horizon. I want to get married. Like, now, if the person would just show up, let's get married. We'll do it right here. (laughs) Maybe there's some of you that, or some of you who are Already married, and I pretty much know everyone who is, but there's some of you in here. And, and I believe that God can transform your marriage. I believe that if, if things are going or, or if things are off, I believe God can bring them back to the center. Or maybe there's some of you who are in a dating relationship and things aren't, aren't super healthy right now. I believe God can bring us back to health throughout this series. So, so no matter where you are, I do believe that this series is going to benefit you. This is not just for singles. So tonight, our task is to define the type of love that goes the distance, the love of God, selfless love. That's what we're going to try to define, and or the way we're going to do this is we're going to start in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, so it's not the Gospel of John, the big book at the beginning of the New Testament, it's towards the end of the Bible, it's 1 John chapter 3. So let's pray real quick, though, before we do that. Jesus, I just pray that you would speak tonight. I pray that you would teach us about love. I pray that by the time we're done, Lord, that each of us would be ready to be transformed by you and truly become the person that the person we're looking for is looking for, Lord. Please do a work in our hearts tonight, Jesus. In your name, amen. All right, so verse 11 is where we're starting. Let's just jump right into it for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that or that we should love one another. So John starts off by saying this isn't something new. Our Lord Jesus told us this. So John 13, if you want to flip to the next one, verse 33 or 34 to 35. Jesus says this before he leaves earth. He says or he says a new commandment I give to you that you love or that you love each other. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for, or for one another. So, John's saying, This isn't anything new. Jesus commanded us, love each other. Verse 12, he, said, or he says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So he's pointing to this Old Testament story. There's two brothers, Cain and Abel, and Cain kills his brother out of jealousy. He was jealous of his brother. So guys, that's not love. That's selfishness. That's evil. And he's saying, or he's saying that the opposite of love is being like Cain. So he's saying, don't be like Cain, who was evil and murdered someone else out of jealousy. That's selfishness, self-centeredness, just being about yourself. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. For we know that, or we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And that's just referring to, or to other Christians, so brothers and sisters. And whoever does not love abides in death. So John's saying, if you want to know if you're a genuine Christian, then look at the way you love other people. Do you love other people? If you don't, then he's saying you cannot be a Christian. He says, or he says we know we know that, or that we have passed out of death into life if we love the brothers and sisters. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, and this is kind of the theme verse of the series, so get this in your hearts. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So John's saying, if you want a definition of love, this is love, that he laid down his life for us, The cross is love. Jesus dying for us is love. Self-sacrifice is love. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If you're selfish or if you're hoarding things, how does God's love abide in you? How are you a Christian? That's what John's asking us. Verse 18, he he says, children, then let, us not, or then let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So let's not just say we love people, but let's actually do it. Let's actually do it. So love is an action. Love is not just a feeling or butterflies. It's a choice. It's an action. So the main point tonight is this. Love is more than a feeling. Love, in its purest sense, is laying down your life for another. Love is laying down your life for another. So the word love is a junk drawer word in our language. You know, we say we, or I love my wife. And then we say, I love McDonald's. We say, I love Jesus. And then we say, I love Donald Trump. We say, (laughs) I love my mom. And then we say, I love Bernie Sanders. Uh, Okay, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) College students are like, heck no, we love Bernie. All right, so all these loves cannot possibly mean the same thing. So we have some misconceptions about, about what love actually is in our culture. Is loving hamburgers and your mom the same thing? I hope not. <laughs> so there's two misconceptions I just want to point out quick. The first one is this. Misconception number one is love is tolerance. Just saying... In our culture, I think we view love as tolerance. So you do you, I'll do me. I don't have a so I don't have an opinion about about what's right or wrong. I'm not going to infringe on your life. These are partially good things to not judge people, to accept people where they're at. But the problem with this definition of love if it's, is it's passive, and love is not passive. Love is Jesus on a cross. That's not passive. Love is not passive. Intolerance is passive at its core. So love is not just sitting idly by as people make poor decisions. It's not just practicing your religion privately and just saying, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody about Jesus. So love in its pure sense calls us to sacrifice ourselves for others. And sometimes that means sacrificing what people think of us. That's the reason we don't want to tell people what we think. I don't want them not to like me. It's self-centered. Tolerance is self-centered. So like I said, the tolerance folk are partially right. Love accepts people where they're at. Love doesn't judge people. It doesn't throw stones at people while we have a big log in our eye. Love, so that's part of it. But I think a better definition is this. Love calls us to accept people right where they're at. But also calls us to gently point people to Jesus, and that doesn't mean you go out on or on the union and start yelling at people. You're going to hell. That is not love. But sometimes we have to tell the truth to our friends. So love is not tolerance and just sitting by as the world burns. That's not love. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus entered into the thick of things, into the mess. And said, I'm not leaving people that way. So love is not tolerance. Second misconception is this. Love is the passion that I have for things and for people that just make me happy, like hamburgers. Come on, McDonald's fries. I love McDonald's fries. It makes me happy inside. I love reading. I love hiking. I love music. These things that bring us excitement or happiness. Or I love this person because they just... Are, this person just makes me just want to be an adventurer and they make me brave. I love this person. It makes me feel all butterflies inside. But what happens when the person stops making you feel good inside? Do you still love them? What happens when we, our McDonald's screws up my chicken nuggets? Do I still love them? No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but according to these definitions of love, love is just some emotion Our roles are passive. Love just happens to us. I fell in love with this person. I just couldn't handle it. I'm head over heels in love for this guy. He just makes me so happy. It's just this thing that happens to us. It's passive. The question we have to ask ourselves, is this really the kind of love that Jesus talks about when he commands us to love one another? Jesus saying, get butterflies in your stomach. Feel happy inside. We can't just command our emotions. No, Jesus is saying, take action. So what happens when these emotions go away? Does Jesus give us a free pass on, on just not loving people? What happens if these emotions go, or go away in your marriage? Does that mean you just get divorced? That's why a lot of marriages end these days. This misconception about love the person doesn't make me happy anymore I feel like I feel like I made a mistake the person's not the one see the Bible says that in marriage two become one flesh so how can you just rip that apart because you're not feeling it anymore or for me with that girl I wasn't feeling it I said we're through because I wasn't feeling it I'm glad I broke up with her but just making a point uh So to Jesus, love is more of what you do than how you feel. He commands us to love one another, to love our enemies, to love our neighbors. This obviously cannot be based off of some emotion. Jesus doesn't command us to feel something. He commands us to do something. So here's a better definition. So love is more than emotional passion, although that comes with it at times. But love is the resolve to continually lay down your life for someone or something. So if you want to just lay down your life for that hamburger, go for it. That's love. That's true love. So John challenges us to view love as more than an emotion. So first John 3:16 again. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. And then first John 4:10 just one chapter later. And this is love, not that or not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, that's just like a sacrifice for our sins. So to sum it up, love is Jesus on a cross. Love is bloody Jesus on a cross, knowing every single terrible thing you'd ever do, saying, I'm gonna pay the price for your sins. That's love. I don't think Jesus was feeling emotional feelings for us as he's up there. He's probably ticked. I'm just kidding, I don't think he was ticked. But so love is God sending his own son to pay the price. For our sins. And guys, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with these romantic feelings. I love the butterflies. They're cool. You know, you feel really special. You're floating. You know, you're getting coffee with that girl. You're like, I just feel so good inside. It's, it's not bad. And, and I had a lot of those feelings. And I do have a lot of those feelings for my wife. But the thing is, is I know that our marriage will not last just based upon those emotions. Because they will wane. You know, we'll get old. We'll get wrinkly. There's times we tick each other off. Believe it or not, We do fight. If you want to get married, you have to prepare yourself to, to be able to love someone, even when things are tough, even when they irritate you, even when the feelings aren't there. So marriage is ultimately a commitment to lay down your life for someone each and every day. We cannot expect this or this romantic euphoria to fuel our marriages, they're, because they will die if that's what we base it off of. And we also can't expect this feeling to fuel our love, for our neighbors. Sometimes our neighbors take us off and they're actually enemies to us. We can't expect that to keep us going like, do I feel really good right now? Can I go tell someone about Jesus? Can I go love that person? Can I go give that homeless person a drink? Do I feel it inside? You see how just skewed our understanding of love is in our culture? Love is a decision to lay down your life. So just before Jesus was crucified, he got on his hands and or got on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' feet. And he said, do this for each other. He's, Jesus is showing, or showing us what love is. John thirteen fourteen through 15. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you also ought to wash each other's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So I better wash my wife's feet if I love her. Even when they're stinky. And they can be Stinky. My feet are stinkier though, don't worry. <laughs> so Jesus was making a statement just before he left, said this is love on your hands and knees, just washing the dirt and grime off of someone else's feet. That's love. This is what Jesus is calling each of us into, the love that will get on our hands and knees and wash each other's feet. It's the key ingredient to any healthy marriage or relationship. You have to get this. Imagine how incredible a marriage would be if two people were committed to outserve each other. There's this powerful quote from Andy Stanley. So I've been reading all these dating books because I'm preaching on it, so I should probably have an understanding of it. This is one of the books I read, and this is a powerful quote. When two people choose to put the other first, powerful things transpire. So master the art of love the way the Bible describes it, and you are good to go. Find someone cute who has also mastered it, and who feels the same way about you that you do about him, and the two of you are good to go. That's the ingredient. This is why before we can talk about dating, marriage, and sex, we have to understand love because that's the key ingredient, the love that says, I will lay down my life for you every day. Before we can ever hope to be ready for dating or marriage or sex, we have to get get love the way that Jesus got love. So as I talked about earlier, in our language, love is a juncture word. So we use it to describe all these different things. The cool thing about Greek, the language that the New Testament was written in, is they have four different words for love. And there may be more, but there's four for sure. So C.S. Lewis wrote an incredible book called The Four Loves. And he spends an entire book defining these Greek words for love and saying, these are different types of loves. There's three natural loves that are all good and of themselves, but they need something a little bit more. They need the fourth kind of love, which is God's love. So he spends a whole book defining these different types of love. So let's look at them real quick. The four Greek words for love. Storge. So this is affection or family love, the love you feel for mom and pop. That's storge love. The second one is this. Phileo, friendship love. The love that Dan Benson and Derek Quimby have for each other. Eros, romantic sexual love. Not the love that they have for each other. Agape, selfless, godly love. These are the four kinds of love. So we're going to look at each of these real quick. (laughs) So, shouldn't have said that. Okay, storge. Let's start with storge. Storge is affection or family love. So storge love is most commonly referred to as a love between family members. It's the love that a parent has for a child or the love that two siblings have for each other, you know, me and Derek. The love that owners have for their pets. It's a love that just becomes strong or becomes strong because you're just around someone a lot and you grow to appreciate that person. Like, they're just kind of there, you know? And these types of relationships, it's like this affection for someone, but it's not anything in and of themselves that you're affectionate about. It's not like, wow, like that person's awesome. It's just Hey, like, they've been around for a long time, and I appreciate that person. And, you know, we can fight, and we can treat each other like garbage, and we still love each other. It's just that kind of love that grows through time. And I know you're thinking of people in your head that you feel that way. This storge love, this affection. And it's the most, or the most generous of loves. Even when people seem unlovable, we can give them affection. You know, it's just crazy Uncle Joe. I love that guy, but he's a weirdo. Affection only asks that the two people be familiar with each other. And it becomes truly powerful when it or when it mixes with the other love. So you take friendship, love, and affection, it's or it's the love that two friends that have been around each other forever have. Like two guys that are just on the same path, they love the same things, and they just appreciate each other. You take it with Eros love. And it makes sex more than just sex. It's this it's this old friend, this romantic chemistry. And you grow closer and closer. Or when you couple with godly love, it's the love that pushes a parent to die for their child. So we can't just have affection. We need other things. Because it's not a particularly powerful kind of love. It's just the love that you feel for the house you grew up in or the people you graduated with. Like, you don't really like them, but you love them in a sense because they were there when you were in kindergarten. You know, that kind of love. And affectionate love on its own will not go the distance. What happens if that person changes? You know, that person you're familiar with starts to change or gets, or, or gets these brand new ideas or starts to learn more things than you know and starts to go on this path and moves away and just takes life. You start to get jealous. You know, like, that's not the same person I knew. That's not the same person I grew up with. And another danger of this kind of love, like I said, it's built in. So you, so you don't really try that hard, you know? I think about... The thing is, is when I go home, sometimes I just don't try that hard because my family. I've known them forever, and sometimes I walk out. I'm like, "Why don't I try harder? Like, I can show love way better, to other people." And I get around them, and I just act like a jerk sometimes. So that's the danger. We can't just have affection, love by itself. We need these other factors. So Lewis has a really good quote about affectionate love. He says this: He says, "Affection teaches us first to notice, then to endure, then to smile at." than to enjoy and finally to appreciate the people who happen to be there. So made for us, thank God, no. They are themselves, and they're odder than you could have believed and worth far more than we could have guessed. So he's saying they're weird, but they're worth so much. That's that's affectionate love. It's a powerful force. But it's not the whole picture of what we need in marriage and relationships. The second kind of love is this phileo love, so friendship love. Friendship is a love that two or three or four or five friends have together or more. It's this strong bond between people who share the same values. They're going the same direction. They're interested in the same thing. You know, Jake and Josh and Austin, they love to pump the iron. They're friends. You know, they're just like becoming friends as they're lifting because they have a common interest. C.S. Lewis talks about friendship love. Like, you know, you can't... So, if you don't do anything, you can't have friendship love because you're not interested in anything. It's just two people. You know, one guy's doing his thing, and then he looks over, and there's another guy doing it. And you're like, cool, we'll be friends. You know, we're interested in the same things. Like, for me, like, people who love to, like, talk about theology and the Bible and things, like, I could sit with them for hours and just talk and talk and talk because we're doing the same things, because we're interested in the same stuff. And, it, and C.S. Lewis also talks about it in the sense it's like, you know, it's like a field of two equals, like, you just appreciate her. Like, yes, we're doing the same thing together. Like, like, it's no biological thing. Like, there's not butterflies in your stomach. It's not like, oh, it's a family member. And it's not, or it's also not like you're obligated to love them because they're your neighbor. But it's just this, hey, we're doing the same thing, and I appreciate you, and I respect you. And we're doing this together. And you come alongside me. makes my life better. Like, I don't need you. Like, I don't need you to have sex or procreate or any of those things. I don't need you because you're my mom. It's just, hey, like, we're... Or where's two people? Two people who are going on this journey together. So how many of you know that friendship love is needed in marriage as well? We need friendship love. We need to be interested in the same things. So one thing I want to say right now, do not not be a missionary dater. If you're a Christian, don't date non-Christians. It's stupid. Do not date non-Christians because you have to be interested in the same things. Think about how hard it is to serve a God, to serve a God you love, you believe he laid down your life, or his life for you. And then to be trying to do this journey with someone else who has no clue what's going on. And you may think that, hey, if I date them long enough, they'll change, and they'll meet Jesus. People don't change because of other people. People change when they realize that they need to change. And if you're going into, going into some relationship thinking, I'll change them. You know, she's really hot, so eventually we'll get some same interests. I have a 4.0, and she has a 1.2, but she's super hot, and it'll work out. It's not going to get better, guys. And I especially want to hang on that point that we can't date non-Christians if you're a Christian. I just, that's no. No. There's, there's no room for that. Don't come to me and say, what, they, they're really going to change. No. There's no room for that. Jesus says you, Jesus says, do not, or not Jesus, but Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, which is just saying, don't be dating or married to a or to a non-Christian. Because you need people going on the same path as you, and you need to have friendship love in your marriage. You need it. It's my favorite thing about our marriage, probably. Because me and Emily just have the greatest friendship. She's truly my best friend. And and if it was just about sex, now it got weird. It was just about sex. <laughs> it was just about sex. If it's just, hey, affectionate love. Well, hey, we've been around each other for a long time. It wouldn't be like nearly as fun as it is when I can sit and talk with her for hours about things that are stirring in my heart, and we're interested in the same things they're watching all the just watching all the Harry Potter movies together and talking about all this stuff. If I didn't have those common interests, our marriage would be be much less effective and or, I think that's not the right word. Our marriage would be much less satisfying so but there are some dangers of friendship love so the first thing and you're all going able to to relate with this is friendship love sometimes can lead to clickiness like hey like we're on the same path and we're friends we're interested in the same thing so so you stay out you don't fit into this friendship group but that's anti-Jesus that's anti-christian Jesus is always making room for the foreigner he's always saying let more people in make room for more so I just want to just warn you as you're finding friendship love with people don't exclude other people you can still have that friendship and the power there but don't exclude other people don't let pride get to you and think, wow, since I'm friends with this person, I'm really awesome. And our group is just really cool and nobody can get into it. Don't let pride destroy that. And the other thing is friendship love can sometimes make bad behavior seem normal. So once again, like I said about dating someone who, or, or dating a non-Christian, if you're a Christian, yes, you have to. Jesus commanded us, go love people. Go love your neighbor. Go be friends with people. But, the, but that core people that are in your inner circle, if they're not following Jesus as well, it's going to be really hard to follow God because you're going to be going on the same path with these people. And I don't want you to leave your friends who don't know Jesus, but I want you to consider who are you spending the most time with. The third kind of love is this, and, and everyone's getting pumped. It's eros love, sexual love, Mmm. It's good. Romantic love. So Lewis refers to this kind of love as the being in love with someone. It's the butterflies you get for that special someone. It's the thing that just makes you look at your phone over and over again as you are going to bed. Did she text me back? Did she text me back? It's red. I saw it was red like four seconds ago. She needs to text me back. She's not typing yet. What the heck? It's that kind of love. It's that kind of love. And it can... Become the kind of love where it's like bounce, go, wow, wow. Sexual. <laughs> That's what eros is. But eros is more than just sexual desire. See, sexual desire without eros love just wants sex. But eros love in its purest sense actually wants the person. So if you're out on the hill or just you know doing or doing one night stands, trying to find or find that love, that hole in your heart, trying to fill that. Just with some guy or some chick, and you're saying, Hey, like, you know, maybe if we have sex, it'll we'll just, you know, fill that hole. It's not going to do it. Because true Eros love doesn't just want sex, it actually wants the person. That's the kind of Eros love that each of us should pursue. So, sex is a good thing in God's eyes. The problem with the church in the last century or so is sometimes we make sex into this evil bad thing don't have sex till you're married don't have sex till you're married don't have sex till you're married and that's all you hear until you get married and then you're like I'm supposed to have sex now is this okay Is mother Teresa coming through the back door I don't know (laughs) so sex is a beautiful thing when inside marriage and unadulterated by sin But we need to save it for marriage because God knows that sex and eros love is so powerful that the only covenant that is safe and that can hold it in to not cause hurt and pain is marriage. See, God doesn't set up marriage as some constraint, but it protects us. Because why in the world would you want to give yourself to someone that you don't know, that you don't know they're going to be there the next day? I only want to give myself To the woman who says, I'm going to be there forever. When you're old and gray, if you're in a wheelchair, if you're not hot, I'll be there. (laughs) I want that kind of love. And that's why God sets up marriage. See, none of the commands in the Bible are meant to be these burdens that God just puts on your back and says, oh, you have to wait till you're married. It's this big burden. No, it's a beautiful thing. It's God protecting you because he loves you, cares about you, and he doesn't want you to get hurt. So one of the dangers with Eros love, and I think this is the biggest thing, and this really points this out, is sometimes we just idolize romance, and it's this thing that I need this, I need to have the Hemsworth brothers come swoop me up, or one of them, not both, come swoop me up, take me off on this horseback, and ride off into the sunset, and when I have that, then I'll be happy. When that Prince Charming comes along, oh, things going to be good. I'm going to follow Jesus then. I'm going to read my Bible because life's going to be perfect. We idolize it. I'll be honest with you. Before I got married, I loved all these romance movies because I was like, I just want that. I just want that. Now I'm like, who cares? I don't even care about these movies. I actually have it, you know. But we put these things on a pedestal. We put this feeling, this romance, like, oh, you know, when I meet the one, things are going to be okay but well, the only one who comes into your life and makes everything okay is Jesus. We're putting boys and girls on these pedestals and saying, hey, be my savior. It's a crummy savior. It's a crummy God. They're never gonna fulfill that hole in your heart. Finally, we get to agape love, the love of God. This is the love that for the first 10, 15 minutes we talked about. This is the love that the biblical authors talk about when they talk about love in the Bible the kind of love that actually does something. It's not just some feeling, but it's an action. It's a verb. And Lewis calls us to make the other three natural loves subordinate to this kind of love, agape, godly love, selfless love. Agape love coupled with storge love calls a mother to lay down her life for a child. Agape love coupled with phileo love calls a friend to love like Jesus, the one who laid down his life for his friends. Agape love, coupled with Eros love, calls a wife to love her husband, even when he gets ugly. So I can eat all the McDonald's I want, because <laughs> she's going to love me in the morning. I'm kidding. That's stupid. Don't be like that. <laughs> Josh Hans is like, hallelujah. <laughs> and we hope to have truly successful relationships, and to love the way that Christ loved, then we need to begin to grasp agape love. The other loves will fickle and fade away, if not coupled with agape love. So let's go through a couple verses again and replace love with agape. A new commandment I give to you, that you agape-o one another. Just as I have agapao owe you, then you also are to owe one another. Okay, let's go to the next one. 1 John 3.16, by this we know agape, that's, that's more fun to say, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So just, just notice here, it's not saying eros. By this we know sexual love that he, no, it's agape love. Okay, the next one, 1 John 4.10, and this is agape, not that, or not that we have loved or agape-o, God, but that he agapa o us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Agape love is what God is pointing to and what the biblical authors are pointing to. So Lewis believes, and I concur with him, the Bible concurs with him, that that agape love is the greatest of all the loves. The love that doesn't just rely on feelings or common common interests or affection or attraction, but the kind of love that sticks when it's hard. In any great marriage, all of these loves will be present. I believe that all four are very important. But before we can head down a path towards marriage, we need to understand the love of God and allow it to transform us into people who love with agape love. If you can't love your neighbor, then you can't love your spouse. We need to get this. We need to start, or start loving our neighbor, start, or start actually loving our enemies before we can expect to be able to love our spouse who's going to irritate us so much for 60 years if you live a long time going to irritate you for a long time. It's gonna be really hard to love. So I think tonight the call that God has for us is love your neighbor. If you want to be ready for marriage, then begin loving your neighbor. Stop holding grudges. Quit with the bitterness. Love your neighbor. Lay down your life even when it's hard. That's what God is calling us to. But I know that you didn't come for that. So there's five things that I think we can do to go on the pathway towards marriage. And I want to talk about these different types of loves and. And how each of them factor in the dating relationship. So we're just going to throw them up real quick. First thing is this. So you're saying, okay, I have agape love for my neighbors. I'm ready for this. Actually, the first question is this. Do I have a, a agape love for God and neighbor? Am I the person that the person that I'm looking for is looking for? If you can answer this question, yes, and that's the question I want you to, to grasp tonight, then I believe you're ready to date. If you can't, then I don't think you should date. So if you want my opinion, there it is. Second point is this. Do I have friendship, phileo love, for a specific person of the opposite sex and could see myself in a romantic relationship with them? If yes, and the feeling is mutual, then go for it, girl. Come on, date them. If you don't know if you could be friends with them, then get to know them some more. So, so we're going on this pathway. It starts with agape love for neighbor and for God, and then we start to see phileo love for someone of the opposite sex. We say, hey, like, you know, I could see myself... Get into that bounce I go on stage with this person they're pretty cool I could hang out with them for years and years so phileo love is the second part third thing is this am I developing affectionate or store love towards this person so you have to actually be fond of the person if you want to date them if you don't like the person if you're not affectionate towards them don't date them So if the answer is no to any of these questions, then get off the train, get off the path. That's the whole point. But if it's yes, then you can keep going. So if you are affectionate of this person, if you appreciate the person, you're fond of them, then start to consider, can this person be my spouse? That needs to be something you consider at the beginning of the relationship. It's not like, hey, let's just goof around for four years, and then we'll talk about it. No, date intentionally. If you don't date intentionally, then you're going to keep running in circles. Circles and circles and circles. Date intentionally. So consider, can I, or can this person that, this person that's my friend and I'm affectionate towards, could they be my spouse? If you can see them being your spouse, keep dating. Come on. Fourth point. Am I developing eros love towards this person? And does God want me to marry this person? So once you're starting to get that eros love, which you know I'm talking about, You need to start saying, like, really saying, God, do you want me to marry this person? And if yes, to both of these questions, then you need to take steps towards marriage. You need to. Do not prolong the dating process and risk sex outside marriage. There's nothing, I mean, I'm sure there's other things, but, but I believe one of the most catastrophic things for us as people is to awaken love for the right time. To have sex with people who who aren't meant to be our spouse, it's going to lead to brokenness. So if you're feeling these feelings towards someone, you need to consider it. Can I marry this person? And you really need to start thinking about marriage. And I understand that, you know, like most of us are in college. Some of you are freshmen. It didn't stop me. I got married after my sophomore year, but just saying if you want to do that, it's cool. But we really shouldn't keep dating someone that we're feeling this eros or sexual desire for if we're not prepared to marry them in the future. The Fifth thing is this. This is it. Do I want to lay down my life for this person and share the most powerful earthly bond with him? If yes, then get married where agape and eros love come to their fullest expression. Marriage is the most beautiful thing, guys. It's the only relationship that has all four of these kinds of love inside of it, in that package. God created something so powerful called marriage. In the very beginning, he created it. And he said, this is going to be the parameters where the most powerful expressions of love can fully manifest themselves. And if we're doing it outside of marriage. We're only hurting ourselves. God loves you. It says in the word that, that he literally knitted you together in your, in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head. He doesn't set up marriage as or something to, to spoil your fun or take from your joy, but it's something where our joy can really be fully expressed. Guys, marriage has been the most beautiful thing I've been able to be a part of in my life. And I encourage you, unless God is telling you to be single, which singleness is incredible as well. Actually, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said, if God's calling you to be single, that's a great thing. Because if you're not single, so if you're married, you're going to get distracted and you won't be able to do everything that God's called you to do. So singleness is beautiful. So if God is calling you to that, to be single for life, then do it. But if you feel like you want to be in a relationship with someone, then you really need to consider marriage. And guys, you're 18, 19, 20, 21, some of you 25 and older, it's time to start thinking about it. It's time to start thinking about it. Don't just date for fun. Say, oh, I'll just date this person. It's okay to go take someone out for coffee and just say, hey, do I have phileo love for this person? Is this someone I could be a friend with? And then go down that journey, but be intentional about it. Don't just date randomly seeking to fill that hole that only God can fill. So in any healthy marriage relationship, as I said, All four of these loves should be present. Go to the next slide. So, the first one, let's just review it quick. All four of these loves Storge love. So, affectionate, familiar love. It's a really cool thing when your significant other starts to feel like a family member. Like, you know, it's not like we're brother and sister, but it's like, okay, I can't explain it very well, but you get it. Family member love. The second thing is paleo, (laughs) friendship love. It just would have got weird when we've been talking about, okay. <laughs> Pleo love, friendship love, eros, which is romantic sexual love, and finally, agape, selfless, godly love. So marriage, in any healthy marriage relationship, all these four things should be at work. So this is your litmus test as you're considering people to be your spouse. Do all these four factors, are they there or are they growing? Obviously, we don't want... Eros love to come to its fullest expression until marriage. But you should be attracted to the person, you know, like it should be hard to keep your hands off the person. It's not a bad thing to to struggle with that. God created us like that. So as I said, the main point is this tonight. If you get nothing else out of the sermon, it's love is more than a feeling. Love in its purest sense is laying down your life for one another. We have to make love into an action. Before we ever hope to be ready for dating or marriage or any of these fun things or sex, we have to learn to love with agape love. We have to take Jesus' command to love our neighbor, to love our enemies, and to love one another seriously. So that's the call tonight. Do you have agape love in your heart? Do you know God who is love? If you don't, I don't think you're ready. I don't think you're ready. So the worship team would come up. So the theme verse tonight was this, 1 John 3:16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus on a cross. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. So I understand that as we're talking about God's love tonight and how Jesus and how Jesus laid down his life for us that some of you have never tasted the love of God. That's just the truth. Some of you are like that or you're like that girl at the well and you're trying to drink from the well to find satisfaction, but you just keep getting thirsty again. You're trying all these different things to satisfy you. And I think one of the biggest things we turn to is sex, let's be honest. Pornography, one-night stands, just fooling around with our friend. But there's other things, too, you know, success, popularity. And we're trying to drink from this well and find eternal satisfaction, and it just, it just keeps going over and over again. We keep getting thirsty. The reality is, is each of us was born separated from God because of our sin. Each of us was born just rebellious towards God. Like, hey, I don't need you. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's how we were born. We know that. Think about a two-year-old. Like, all they say is, mine, 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 selfish, self-centered. That's how we're born. Rebellious towards God (laughs) and not loving towards our neighbor. That's how we're born. But God says, I'm not going to leave you that way. He says, I'm going to show you the most powerful force in the world, agape love, and I'm going to lay down my life and pay the price for your sin so we can both be forgiven for our sin and have power over that sin. So maybe you're in this room, and, and when I talk about pornography, like that just like right away your heart started beating because that's something you struggle with. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he didn't, just died to forgive you, but he also died to give you power over that sin. And I believe that tonight's going to be a new day for us because there is so much, or so much sexual brokenness in this room. There's so much relational brokenness. There's some guy that hurt you a few years ago, and you can't get over it. or some girl that hurt you. And as I talked tonight, like, you kept thinking, you know, maybe I missed it. Like, maybe that was the one. You know, maybe that was the person. Or, or those pains came back up, those hurts came back up in your heart. But tonight, I think we need to do a few things. I think, one, we need to forgive people who have hurt us. I think, two, we need to confess our sexual sin and relational sin. And three, we just need to look at Jesus and say, hey, it's a brand new day. It's a brand new day. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. And I believe it's a new day for us, guys. It's a new day. You guys would stand with me. So tonight, God is calling each of us to love like Jesus, to encounter the love of God, and then, and then allow that to overflow into loving our neighbor. We need to learn to make love into more than a feeling, but an action of self-sacrifice, imitating our Father who sent His Son to die for us. We need to make a commitment to love people with agape love and to get ready to love that person who God may or may not bring into your life and to love them for your entire life. A person who person who all those different loves are firing on all cylinders, the friendship love, affectionate love, eros love, agape love. But the thing is, is we can't rely on those other forms of love. We have to rely on agape love and make a decision to lay down a life for them. It's a new day. And I believe God has that plan for each of you who feel like marriage is what He wants for you. I believe that. And we take it even past dating and relationships. When a group of students start to love with this agape love, our campus will be transformed. Not just when we're feeling it, not just when Kyle Alpha was awesome on Thursday. But to love each and every day, even when it's tough. To go to bed at night and say, I poured myself out for this campus. I loved this campus, even when they were mean to me, even when people cut me off in traffic. Even when things were tough, like, I loved them. I didn't flip them off and drive away. I stayed. No, I'm kidding. I don't know where I'm going with that. But God is calling us to love this campus. And I believe that when we begin to understand agape love and not just butterfly love, I believe this campus will be transformed. So if you guys would bow your heads and close your eyes. If we could sum everything up tonight, I think it's this. We need to do unto others as God has done for us. We love because he first loved us. If you're in this room and you feel like God is calling you to love like Jesus, to love this campus with agape love, to love your family with agape love, to, to be someone who, who is a picture of God's love in this world, if you believe that that's what God's calling you to, if that's something you want to do, if that's some, or, or if that's the kind of person that you want to be, I just want you to raise your hand and just make a cry out to God and say, I want to love with agape love. Tons of hands going up. Let's be people who don't love just when it's easy, but people who love when it's hard and people who lay down our lives for this campus and for other people. And Put your hands down. Second group is this. If you came into this room and you were just tired and thirsty, trying a bunch of different things to satisfy that hole in your heart, and tonight you felt God's love, and you want to make a decision to, to invite him into your life and and to have a relationship with him, and to trust in his sacrifice for your sins, I just want you to put your hand up, and guys, no one's looking around, I see that hand, is there any more hands, like, like you just want to say, I'm all in for this, there's another hand, is there anybody else in this room, see that hand, put him down, all right, we're just going to pray for both sets of people, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to love the way that you loved us, God, I pray that each of us would love with agape love, not with eros love or just eros love or phileo love, but with agape love, the love that says, I'm going to lay down my life for other people. God, I also want to pray for those of us who tonight we tasted the love of God and we want to put our faith in you. Jesus, we just want to say we trust you. God, we want you to come in and give us a fresh start. God, we want to be brand new and we want a relationship with you. Jesus, come in and make your home in our hearts. Give us eternal, eternal water that satisfies forever. Jesus, we love you so much. We pray this all in your name. Amen.